this week on the Backtable Podcast. Those are the um, resonance that really stand out uh, for me. You know, there, I, I think there are certain qualities that I notice in residents that really shine over the course of a residency. Being energetic, being humble, being uh, excited about the field. Uh, those are all qualities that we look for in residents because they, they make a huge difference over the course of five or six years. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and on Backtable.com. Before we dive into our topic today, just want to say a quick word from our sponsor, RadPad. RadPad radiation protection products, developed by physicians for physicians and clinically proven to protect during CINE and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your health on anything less. Trust RadPad protection for all your interventions. See radpad.com for more information and contact info at radpad.com to learn more about radiation safety CME credits for you and your team. My name is Sonny Murthy. I'm a medical student at UVA, and I'll be your guest host this week. I'm very excited to introduce my special guest, Dr. Luke Wilkins. Welcome. Thanks very much for having me. Dr. Wilkins, I really want to just kind of start with uh, giving you the opportunity to introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Luke Wilkins. I am uh, one of the attendings at uh, University of Virginia. Um, I've been here for about eight and a half years. I first came here out of fellowship at uh, MUSC. Prior to that, I did residency at Case Western. Um, and prior to that, I was uh, in med school at Tulane. Uh, I went to undergrad at George Washington and I'm originally from Michigan. I, lo I love that. And I kind of want to just kind of continue on that and really go back to what made you want to become a program director in the first place. Uh, so I've always had an interest in education. Uh, both my parents were uh, teachers. My dad was a high school math teacher and my mom was a high school English teacher. So I just kind of grew up around education and kind of had that my whole life. Um, and then when I was in residency, uh, I was chief resident and I uh, really liked the whole process of evaluating applicants, uh, interviewing, uh, highlighting all the strengths of a program, working with the uh, educational program, how lectures are arranged, how um, different educational aspects are arranged for a residency program. And that was something I, I really wanted to uh, incorporate into my career. And it's been a little bit of an uphill battle, especially more recently. Last year was a huge learning process for everyone going all of a sudden virtual. What did you learn from last year and how are you all better prepared for this cycle? We learned a lot. I don't know if we're, I hope we're better prepared for this cycle, but, uh, but, um, it's, it's amazing the amount of work that, that went into getting us ready for the, um, virtual cycle last year from our program coordinator and all our educational support at, at UVA and all the, um, uh, societal support, uh, through SIR and through APDIR. Um, there was a, a lot of support for the virtual program. The things that, I learned uh, were that it's it's challenging to do uh, a virtual interviews. You know, trying to um, learn about an applicant, learn about how they would fit in with your program, and doing that over uh, virtually is very very challenging. And I think likewise, trying to highlight the strengths of your program and the culture of your program is also challenging to do virtually. Uh, some of the things that we found that were helpful uh, were kind of opening it up the virtual doors as, as wide as possible. So we made a lot available to our applicants so they could get a feel for what we were about. You know, we made lectures available through Zoom 
we uh, did a virtual tour. Uh, we had uh, several virtual meet and greets. Um, we had uh, lots of time built into the vir to the virtual interview day, uh, where applicants could talk with our our residents and fellows and get a feel for the for the program. It's also was challenging for us uh, being in a relatively small town uh, in Virginia. Um, that uh, it's hard to highlight all the strengths of Charlottesville. You know, Charlottesville is a, a wonderful place to live, but it's uh, not something that or not a place that many people have been to. Uh, so whereas people have been to Chicago or been to New York and they know what those cities are like, people haven't really been to Charlottesville. So programs that are in smaller cities or places where uh, or cities that um, you may not have just traveled just through being a tourist, uh, those those programs had a, a little bit more of a, a uphill battle and kind of highlighting the strengths of the region in which they were located. In terms of how are we better prepared this cycle? Well, we're still kind of uh, have the same constraints uh, that we that we did last year with trying to highlight our city as best we can, uh, highlight our program as best as possible, and we just plan on continuing all those kind of same initiatives we started last year. And so, with all those challenges already, and it sounds like you've had an increased number of applications, both due to interviews being virtual, but also just because the outreach that SIR and all their interventional radiology societies are doing seems to be working. How have you all handled the increasing number of applications? I've been reading a lot more. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, there's um, there has been a lot uh, more applications uh, this cycle than there have been in, in previous years. Um, in terms of how we handle it, you know, I, th I think every application that we receive, uh, I read. And wow. uh, I read the vast majority of uh, each and every application. And I think that's important for all uh, program directors to do because you uh, can uh, you learn a lot about the uh, the applicants. It, it, they're they're more than just a GPA where they went to school and what their step one score is. But also it's as we move towards the era in which step one will be pass fail, we're going to need to be able to uh, have the skill set to evaluate an applicant not on the basis of a of a three digit number. Um, so I, I think it's really important for program directors to get a sense of how to evaluate applicants in a in a deeper way, so to speak. Yeah, and like you mentioned, with step one going to pass fail, do you actually see a ways as being more important with with virtual interviews and with other characteristics or numbers going away? Yeah, I think that's a really tough question. Um, you know, I, I do think that uh, away rotations uh, are very important. They're uh, uh, great for the applicant because you get to see a, um, a new program. You get to see uh, it up close and personal. You really get a feel for the culture of the program. And you learn a lot about interventional radiology in a different setting than your home institution. They're also very important for the uh, for that program because they really get to spend a lot of time with a potential applicant and really get to know that person. Um, and uh, it really will go a long way into you know making sure that that program knows that you are very interested as an applicant. That being said, is it the only way that you can show a program that you're interested both in interventional radiology and their program? No, there's there's tons of other ways uh, through uh, communicating with the program director or associate program director, doing uh, research intervent or interventional radiology at your home institution, uh, being involved through SIR. All of those are great ways to show programs that you are dedicated to this field and that if you uh, join their program, you are going to be a very productive member uh, of their residency. And I know you mentioned this earlier, about how it's difficult for 
on the student side to really assess and learn more about the culture of the program that they're applying for. Let's say you were applying for an IR residency right now. What characteristics in a program would you be looking for? With a pandemic lens, it's challenging for, for me to try and guess what I would be looking for in a program. But it, all other things being equal, I think there are some characteristics of a program that you could uh, say are pretty important and some that I think would be important for me if I were in the shoes of an applicant. Namely, I would want a program that's going to be uh, flexible. So what do I mean by flexible is I want a, a program, I would want a program that would be able to prepare me for uh, whatever future career I may have. You know, when I was, how old was I when I was applying for for residency, 26. When I was 26, I, I don't think I had a really firm grasp on kind of what career I wanted. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't come from a family of doctors. I have zero doctors in my family, uh, and both my parents are, are teachers. So I had really no idea what to expect uh, out of a career, and um, you know, didn't know if I wanted to do private practice, do academics, be heavy research. What I, I really had no idea what any of those career paths entailed. So. I would think that it would be important to find a program that's going to prepare you for whatever your pathway may be. You know, you may be really gung-ho academics as a third or fourth year medical student, and you may completely change your mind after two years of residency, and you don't want to be at a place that's going to be cramming translational research down your throat if you're there and you decide, oh, I want to, I really want to go into private practice because there's Nothing wrong with doing either private practice or academics, but it's it, it can become challenging um, depending on which residency program you're at if to, to kind of switch midway or to have all the resources uh, available to help you no matter what your career path is. So I think flexibility is uh, extremely important. Also, some degree of flexibility with the uh, types of cases that you are learning. Again, uh, you don't know what kind of your niche will be, quote unquote, when you get out of training. You know, are you going to be someone who's are you going to be in an OBL and doing PAD? Are you going to be in a, um, in a really heavy onc practice? Um, are you going to be kind of doing bread and butter IR? So you want something that's going to kind of prepare you for whatever you get out and do. Not a program where you're going to get out and be like, Ugh, I feel really comfortable doing X, Y, or Z, but not really comfortable uh, doing these things. So you don't want to kind of pigeonhole yourself into the type of practice that you're going to have. Starting as wide as possible and then really being able to focus a little more on, on what you find super interesting is great. And having a program that equips you to do all that sounds like the perfect match for a, a lot of people. Yeah. And, um, you know, you learn so much your first year out of fellowship. You learn almost as much during your fellowship uh, as you do during your first year. I mean, they're almost equal. Um, and so you really want to have a strong foundation uh, for uh, however your career changes uh, when, you, when you get out of fellowship. I guess last and perhaps most importantly, you want to find a, a program that kind of fits with, with your personality um, and how you learn. Um, that is probably going to be the hardest thing to assess uh, virtually. And having the kind of maturity to know how you learn and how you are, how you perform best in an educational setting that requires a high level of maturity. I certainly don't even have that level of maturity. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you do have that, um, finding a program that's kind of able, where you're able to say, yes, this is a place where I think I'm going to fit in and where I'm going to thrive, um, that's uh, probably the most important quality. And that's really, that's kind of why I uh, have put up lectures and kind of have uh, really kind of throw open the doors here to kind of show people how we uh, uh, do 
lectures, how we do rounding, uh, what is your typical schedule going to be like, uh, what do we offer for, for, you know, boards prep, those types of things. Um, that's, uh, uh, I'm trying to highlight the strengths of our program, but also have people say, oh yeah, I think I would really fit in there. Or, you know, I don't think that's the right learning environment for me, which is totally fine. We want people to, that want to come here and would feel like they'd really fit in with, with the way we have things set up. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're going to be spending a lot of time with your trainees and the entire cohort. So you really want to make sure that that fit is right. And it, it takes a lot of investing in yourself and, and also the applicants. So it is really great to hear that you actually read all of the applications that come across your desk. Yeah, they're, it's, they're actually really interesting. There's some uh, really good personal statements out there. And there's, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be pandering, but there's some um, students that have done some absolutely incredible things. Uh, both in in med school and uh, uh, in undergrad, and just have these incredible life stories. Um, and so, reading them really is it doesn't feel like work. That's the this is the best part of my job is uh, uh, learn about people that are entering in our field because it's it's really is really inspiring to see who's going to be coming into the field next. Yeah, and you're shaping the next generation. You know, the generation to come after. And I would love to better know what qualities in a person do you think make a good resident. Yeah, that's so that's probably one of the top five questions I get uh, during interviews. And, you know, thinking back to all the residents that we've had uh, during my time here at UVA, the, the residents that really stand out are the the ones that are um, that kind of go that extra mile for their patients, you know, where they are set to leave the hospital and they think to themselves, oh, boy, that um, it looked like there was maybe a small hematoma developing on that patient. I'm going to go back and check on them one more time, or I'm going to go and make sure that the uh, resident that I'm signing off to knows that complete story or make sure those orders are put in right. Uh, those are the patients that really, they really stand out because they, uh, we know that their patients are cared for well. And I know that when they leave here, uh, they're really going to go that extra mile for their patients and, and all the people that they care for. So I think those are the patients or patients, those are the um, residents that really stand out, out for me. You know, there, I, I think there are certain qualities that I notice in residents that really shine over the course of a residency, being energetic, being humble, being uh, excited about the field. Uh, those are all qualities that we look for in residents because they, they make a huge difference over the course of five or six years. Yeah. And you get to see them really kind of flourish from day one to, you know, graduating fellowship. And like you mentioned, that's a, that's a long time. That's five to six years of their life. Yep. It's an absolutely, uh, when you originally asked, you know, why did you want to be a program director? You know, I, I think why I wanted to become a program director and why I enjoy being a program director are, are kind of two separate questions. I kind of told you why I wanted to, to, to be a program director, but why I enjoy being a program director is, is much different. And, and you kind of just hit on that as, as seeing the, the progress from, you know, PGY1 to PGY6. It, it's an amazing process to see and something that I, it really humbles me to be able to be a part of it. Um, it's, it's absolutely amazing, especially when um, you uh, see people come through as, as med students and uh, then you see them graduate as fellows, you know, when they're, they're barely able to coil a wire on the back table um, <laughs> when they first start or they, they don't know how to, to fill a syringe you know, and, and then, and then when they get done, they can do a case from start to finish and you don't even need to scrub in. It's, it's really, yeah. it's truly impressive. 
I was about to feel attacked because I'm still in that early stage. And honestly, I was having trouble <laughs> picking things from the, I think, the the cart on on what to pick. But yeah. <laughs> And, and that's, a, that's another reason why I like being in academics and why I like uh, being involved in education as a program director is it really gives you, it gives you a lot of perspective. It forces me to realize how cool our specialty is uh, when you have the enthusiasm and the energy of medical students and residents around you all the time. I'll say, oh, you know, uh, don't go into this room. You know, it's, it's just a fistulogram. It's, it, this isn't, it's, it's okay. Just go into this other room that, and then they'll end up in the fistogram and they'll be like, that was awesome. <laughs> we ballooned an anastomosis. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, it actually, it is really cool. You're right. I don't know why I poo-pooed that, but, <laughs> um, so it's, it's an awesome thing to see and to be a part of. Yeah. And I, I, and like you said, it's it's really about perspective because when you see things for the first time or the first few times, a lot of IR is really wizardry and magic for and being cowboys and cowgirls. Like at the end of the day, it's, it's super interesting and super new. Yeah. And I think it would be if you were kind of by yourself a lot, at least me personally, if I were uh, in a more isolated setting, I think I would lose sight of that. I would, I would lose sight of how, how special this the specialty is, you know, I think having med students and residents around really it makes it easy to remember what a, what a cool uh, specialty we're in. Yeah. I mean, you're constantly recharged. And speaking on that, you're in the process of recruiting the next cohort. Applications are open. I believe interviews start if they haven't started soon. When would you say is the best time for students to reach out about an interview or after an interview? In terms of before an interview, I think it's, it's, it's very important to, if you're interested in a program, I would let that program know uh, before applications are sent out or immediately when applications are available. A lot of programs, um, right when it's time to receive applications, they immediately start reviewing them. Mm. Um, and uh, it's better to say, you know, hey, uh, this is so-and-so from uh, this school. just wanted to tell you why I'm interested in your program specifically. And I think that that does that does go pretty far with a lot of programs, uh, knowing that an applicant has a vested interest in being at their program for whatever reason. Um, but knowing that they are that that program for that applicant is more than just checking a box and saying, I'm applying to X, Y or Z. They're saying I'm applying to that program for a reason. And that it's important that that program knows that um, because it can be uh, uh, challenging from a program's perspective to tease out the differences uh, between applicants um, and uh, being able to say like, hey, this person seems to be really interested in our program. That can that can weigh heavy depending on the program director. And then following interviews, do you typically receive follow-ups? What does that look like for for you? I think it's it's great to receive follow-up from an applicant. However, however, I don't I don't weigh it positively or negatively. Um, I, I do think it's, you know, when I was a, a med student, I was applying, I, I always sent uh, follow-up emails. Um, just say, hey, really enjoyed your program, or um, this is what I really liked about it. I like talking to you about X, Y, or Z. And uh, I also think it's important to have communication later just to let people know how you feel about their program. I think that that can help and um, really lets programs know that, that you're interested in them. Yeah. And so let's say you, you choose your new cohort. What's your favorite case to take a new IR trainee through? Yeah, so uh, uh, full disclosure, uh, Sonny sent me these questions beforehand, um, <laughs> as they do on all Backtable podcasts. And so uh, when I read that, I was just like, 
Tips, obviously. I mean, like you can't, I mean, it's got to be, I would say 90 to 95% of interventional radiologists want to take a new trainee through a tips. I mean, that, that is the most magical of the procedures um, that you uh, have no communication through a whole solid organ. Uh, and then all of a sudden you have this direct communication. Mm-hmm. Like I remember being a, being a med student and hearing what a tips was and my mind was blown. <laughs> like I was just like, what? This doesn't sound like possible? it's achievable. Yeah. yeah, this doesn't sound like something that can happen. And uh, so I think that that uh, above any other case is the one that that I think really captures the imagination of med students and residents, and kind of captures the the spirit of IR because it's just so incredible that someone would come up with that concept and uh, uh, have the the chutzpah to do a procedure such as mm. that. That's always the craziest part to me about these these procedures is that someone had to think about it and then just do it <laughs> and then it worked. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, not to get off on a on a tangent, but, um, you know, I think that doing things with a degree of scientific certainty that the procedure that you are doing is going to result in a clinical benefit to the patient. Learning how to do that is is an art that is um, that is perfected over a long career. Uh, but it is impressive when it does yield positive clinical returns on mm-hmm. on patients in the absence of a uh, normal traditional scientific approach. So what do I mean by that? I mean um, doing something at the bench, doing it in a translational research setting, and then doing things in a clinical setting. That is how a lot of the clinical work is done in, in other specialties is that it's rigorously tested. In interventional radiology, not as much. Um, and so when you try and talk about why procedures work for patients and the scientific basis behind them, sometimes we're a little bit lacking. We kind of do things that are clinically advantageous and that have clinical benefit for patients without really knowing the the full scientific rationale for for why it is actually providing a clinical benefit. A good example is 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 doing taste transarterial chemoembolization. Is that you know that's been shown to embolization is we don't really create a hypoxic tumor microenvironment. And uh, a lot of the drugs that we give, like doxorubicin, are shown not to have a significant benefit when compared with embolization alone. So mm-hmm. why is that beneficial to, to HCC? Oh, we don't know. But it is. <laughs> so it's probably through some hypoxic ischemic effect, uh, probably some through some inflammatory process and, and immune mediated. But it's really, it's that's one of the great aspects of our specialty is that we have things that really, really, really benefit patients but there's still so much research to be done on them. Um, and that's a, a really exciting aspect of our specialty that I think is, is really appealing to a lot of medical students and residents. Yeah, no, I agree. So Dr. Wilkins, I do want to get close to wrapping up and just open up the floor to see if you have any further advice for applicants applying. Yeah, I, I do have some advice. I, um, I really think uh, this is going to sound super cheesy and I, I don't mean it to be, but um, really be yourself. It's it's really the knee jerk reaction is that you want to be as as close to what a program wants to hear as possible when you're applying. And I felt that same pressure when I was a medical student that I was going to you know uh, conform to whatever I thought that program wanted me to be um, as a med student applying. Don't do that. Just just be yourself and be your authentic self. And that way you can see if that that program is going to be a good fit for you and that program can see if you're going to be a good fit for them and it'll make for a much happier five or six years. In addition, I want to know your background as a as an applicant. You know, I, I see so many times people list under 
under their, their previous employment, they only list like going back to the first year of med school, which I, I get why you do that. But like, I had so many terrible jobs. jobs. Yeah. Growing up, um, you know, I started working from the, the day I could start working and I was expected to have a job all the mm-hmm. time. Um, not that that you have to have that, but it, it made me who I was when I was applying to med school and it made me who I was when I was applying to residency. And so I think it's important to kind of display that. Like, did you learn a lot about yourself when you were, uh, waiting tables and, uh, getting barked at by a, by a terrible manager? That's fine. You know, put that on the application. That's, that's interesting stuff. Uh, You know, I, I worked at a steel factory that really (laughs) taught me a lot about life, you know, and, and that's, uh, 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 adds another layer to you as an applicant that that's important for that program to get to know. So they know kind of who you are and what makes you tick. And I don't know, it makes, it makes my job a lot more interesting because I like reading those applications. So, and I'm sure, have you, have you seen any steel factory applicants lately? <laughs> I have not, I haven't seen anyone that's worked in a, in a steel factory. I'm trying to think of the more interesting jobs I've seen. You know, I, I did, there was one, one applicant who listed his, his hobby underwater hockey. Oh. And I thought it was a joke. I thought he was messing with me. So I Googled it, of course, uh, before I interviewed him and it's a legit sport. And so and I, that was really interesting. So, uh, well, I don't know if it's legitimate, but it's sport. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't that's, So we talked a lot about that and it was really interesting. No, he wasn't. It was, it was really interesting. And, and, you know, I like to know where people are from and, you know, what makes them tick and, you know, what, what are their, what are their backgrounds like and what, how does that inform their values and, and, and who they are as a person, who they are as a med student, who they're going to be as a physician, it, it, it all, it all ties in together. So put it all out there. It's, it's, uh, it makes for, I think it, it'll only improve your residency experience. Are you, I, I'm actually curious about this. Are you looking forward to when we go back to in-person or do you kind of prefer the virtual? Oh my God. No. <laughs> easy answer. Yeah. That's such an easy answer. So from the medical student perspective, there are some definitely that's a lot of money that you're saving. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so you could say like, you know, oh, I'm going to be able to, it's so much easier to schedule my interviews because I can do, I can do two interviews in a day. I can do one in uh, Washington and one in Maine on the same day. You know, and that's, that's amazing. That's fantastic that you can do that. But I don't think that, that you're getting a full sense of what that program is like. You know, and I think we can come pretty close. You know, and, and I think it's, it, these are all things that, that should be done and are in the best interest of everyone's health and safety to be doing it the way that we're doing it. But I do think that we, we lose something. My office is an absolute mess right now because I know that I won't have applicants in here to interview in which I'd have to clean up my office. So <laughs> that's another negative is that my office is constantly messy now because no one's in it. But yeah, I can't wait to get back to in-person interviews because it's, it, it's a great way for programs to highlight you know, who they are as a program to, uh, it's easier to show your enthusiasm. It's easier for your residents to be engaged and involved mm-hmm. with the application process and with the recruitment process. Um, it's easier to show what a, uh, awesome city Charlottesville is if you're actually yeah. here and we can take you around Charlottesville and show you what a cool town it is. Take them down to all the wineries. Yeah. So I think it's, a, well, we, don't, we can't do that. I mean, <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Take that. <laughs> really? <laughs> but it is, it's, I can't wait to get back to it. Virtual interviews, they're, they're still entertaining and they're still fun, but I, I, I really cannot wait to get back to in-person stuff. Yeah. Well, Dr. Wilkins, thank you so much. I had an excellent time talking with you and I hope the audience really value our broad value from this. Thank you. I hope so too. And thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, Brian Hartley. Our audio team lead is Karen Gannon with support from Caleb Hodson and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz with support from Zubi Syed. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson and Vivek Prasad. Social media and PR by Ann Dang and newsletter by Lauren Fang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.